0: It's wonderful to be back at Salem Fields. I, uh, I lived most of last year off of what I experienced here at the very beginning of 2015, probably one of the most memorable revival meetings of which I've been a part in most all of my life, and what a joy it is to be back and to have my wife with me. She doesn't always travel with me because of cost restraints and the fact that we've got two cats that need her at home, and... Uh, <laughs> But other than that, uh, but I do like to have her with me whenever it's possible. And whenever she travels with me, uh, we sing together. And this, I think, is probably one of the most powerful songs we've ever tried to learn to sing. And I hope that you'll listen carefully to the lyrics.
1: We've all done things that we're not proud of, made mistakes along the way, walked the path of least resistance, traveled roads that led to shame. There's no need to be held captive Beneath the weight that blame can bring Just pour your heart out to the Savior He alone can break the chain There is freedom and forgiveness. There is peace and sweet relief. Grace and mercy now are waiting when you bow at Jesus' feet. In you bow at Jesus' feet? Genesis chapter 28.
0: If you have your Bibles, or you can read on the screen. Genesis chapter 28, beginning the reading with verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome! Is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that i return safely to my father's household then the lord will be my god and this stone that i have set up as a pillar will be god's house and of all that you give me i will give you a tenth well father here we are at the beginning of a new year we do not know what it holds for each of us but as the song has often reminded us we know Who holds tomorrow and i'm thankful today that we can put our faith and our trust in you and we can know that you will guide us no matter what you will provide for us so we commit ourselves this morning to this new year and i pray that as we enter into it that we might take account of where we are this morning so that as we go into this new year, we will make sure that all is well with us as far as our relationship to you is concerned. In a crowd like this, Father, there are probably people who do not know you at the personal level. I pray that will change this morning. There are those perhaps who are not where they need to be, although they profess faith in you. I pray that that would change this morning. I pray, Father, that everyone in this place before we're done will know beyond any shadow of a doubt where they will spend eternity. And our prayer is that it will be with you. Give me that anointing that I need to share this message. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your mind is a magnificent creation of God. For it has the capacity to catalog everything that its five senses, your five senses, will encounter throughout your entire lifetime. As a matter of fact, it's better than the best of iMac computers that you can buy. Someone has speculated that when all is said and done, and we stand before that great tribunal of God, and we have to give an accounting for the... Kind of life that we have lived that god in his omnipotence he will somehow take everything that you've done he will take the memory banks of your mind and it will somehow project them on some gigantic eternal screen so that you can see everything you've ever done every place you've ever been every activity in which you've been involved every thought that's crossed your mind how you responded to that thought you're going to be able to see it for yourself And what you see will either vindicate or condemn. If that, in fact, is anywhere near a possibility, it should cause every one of us this morning to take great pause at how we're living our lives right now. We should consider our relationship with him. Well, in this sermon, I want you to access your memory banks, and I want you to go on a journey with me. And the purpose of the journey is to inspire encourage, challenge all of us so that we would help see where we are in that most important of all relationships, our relationship with God. In light of this scripture that we read in your hearing a moment ago, we can see that the man Jacob was on a 450-mile journey from his home in Canaan to the land of Haran. And as he is on this journey, he had this incredible encounter with God. He was never able to escape what happened to him in that moment of encounter. Go back to the scripture in question. Look at verse 11. It says that when he, Jacob, reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones. He put it under his head and lay down to sleep when he reached a certain place. Look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Look at verse 17. Jacob was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Look at verse 19. He gave it a name. He called that place Bethel that means house of God though the city used to be called Luz in this sermon I'm going to talk to you about the places in your life and when I look at Jacob I can see that he had certain significant places in his life I don't know about you but when I think about certain events that have happened in my life invariably I think of a place Gretchen and I were in revival services in Orangeburg South Carolina we were staying in a motel there in that city and we'd gotten up on that beautiful Tuesday morning and I would gotten my first cup of coffee and I was reclining on the bed there in the motel room I switched on the television I was going to watch the morning news and I saw unfolding right before my very eyes those horrific events that took place in New York City Shanksville Pennsylvania and Washington DC I saw the effects of planes crashing into the Twin Towers into the Pentagon into a field outside of that city in Pennsylvania we were all changed we all probably remember where we are where we were when we got the news places in our lives as we study Jacob's story As I noted a moment ago, he had significant places in his life. As a matter of fact, you can divide them into four significant places. He experienced a holy place. He found a hiding place. He knew what it was to feel and know a healing place and he returned back to his home place. Just like Jacob of old, I believe that every one of us can point to those same kinds of significant spiritual places in our lives. Notice it says there that Jacob awoke with the realization that that was a holy place. He'd had this encounter with God on this journey that he was taking, and we are all on a journey just like Jacob of old, and on his journey, he had a dream, and he saw in this dream a stairway stretching between earth and heaven, angels descending and ascending on the stairway, and at the top of the stairway stood the Lord and the Lord said to him I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying you will be like the dust of the earth he said the people of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring I will not leave you I will watch over you I will bring you back to this land there's no question in my mind that was a holy place in his life he had actually encountered the triune God. And when you study the Old Testament in particular, you will discover that there were other, other significant personalities that had similar encounters with God. Go with me in your imagination to the backside of a desert. See a man by the name of Moses. There he is looking after his father-in-law's livestock and he's out there in the wilderness overseeing them. And he comes upon a bush that is burning It was not an unusual sight, really. Because you see, in that area of Midia, the the Midian Desert, there were small pine-like bushes that grew, and there was a lot of quartz rock, and it was so hot that the sun would reflect through the quartz rock and sometimes set those flammable bushes on fire. So this was not unusual. He saw the bush and went on about his business, checking on the livestock, came back. And interestingly enough, the bush was not being consumed. He went about his job and looking after the livestock and came back. And the bush is still burning. It's not burning up. And then all of a sudden when he comes by, a voice speaks to him and says, Moses, take off your shoes, your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And all of a sudden Moses recognizes that he's entered into dialogue with none other than God himself. And as a result of that encounter that Moses had with God through that burning bush, Moses was led down into Egypt to become the savior of the Israelite people as he led them out of Egyptian bondage I believe if Moses were alive today and he was standing before you as I am he would say to this congregation that spot on the backside of a desert that day uh, when I thought it was just a mere burning bush it was in actuality God himself speaking to me uh, that was an incredible day in my life it was a holy place It changed his life changed his direction Go with me in your imagination to a spot on the road to Damascus. A man by the name of Saul of Tarsus is on his way to do bodily harm to the Christians of his day. He hated them. They were interfering with his religion. And on that road to Damascus one day, Saul of Tarsus met Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that day Saul of Tarsus met Jesus of Nazareth and his life was changed. And I believe that Paul the apostle, and that's who Saul became, were alive today and he stood before you as I am standing before you. He would say, that spot on the road to Damascus, that was a holy place in my life. Everybody needs a holy place. Everybody needs a spot, a moment in time that you can point to where you can say, that's where I met him. That's where my life was changed. I remember when it happened for me. I was a 17 year old teenager. My father being an evangelist through the summer months of my teen years, I would go with my father to these camp meetings scattered out across the Midwestern part of our country. And I remember in 1963, I was with my mom and my dad and we arrived at Sharon Center, Ohio. Sharon Center Holiness Camp Meeting. When we arrived, I did as I always did when I went to those camp meetings with my mother and my father. Ten-day camp meeting, three services a day, youth program, children's program. It was a great time. And when I arrived, I must confess, I did not go to those camp meetings with my mother and father for the spiritual benefit that I could derive from them. I went to meet the girls And as soon as I arrived on the campground with dad and mom, I would just kind of check out the crop. (laughs) See what I had to choose from that 10-day span of time. And, And I can remember on a hot July night, I was sitting with the young people back on this side of the tabernacle. I was sitting with my designated date for the evening. I'd heard my dad's sermon many times. But that night something happened. The Holy Spirit began to walk up and down the aisles of that old rustic tabernacle. The Holy Spirit turned in that pew where I was sitting with those other young people. And he began to whisper into my ear, and he said, Lane, you're not going to go to heaven because your dad's the evangelist tonight. You're not going to go to heaven, Lane, because your mother is an incredible prayer warrior. No, Lane, the only way you're going to make it to heaven is if you have a personal relationship with me. And I knew that my Life was not right. I, I can talk the language. I, I I knew what it was all about, but there was no reality of knowing Jesus at the personal level. And I remember when my father finished his sermon, gave the invitation, I stepped in the nearest aisle and I made my way down to that altar and I knelt and my father came and he placed his hand on his third son's head and he prayed that I might know what it was to know the forgiveness of sins. And that night, July the 4th, 1963, Sharon Center Holiness Camp meeting, Sharon Center, Ohio, just outside of wadsworth ohio i was born again that's my holy place it's going to be my privilege to go back to that camp meeting this coming summer as one of the evangelists and whenever i go to that camp meeting i always make my way first of all down to that tabernacle to that approximate spot where i knelt and i met him and he became my forgiver my savior My holy place. Everybody needs a holy place. I don't know what you brought into this service this morning. I don't know from whence you've come. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know this. There is one who loves you. And he cares about you and... You may be carrying burdens that seem to be too heavy for you to bear alone. There is a burden bearer. His name is Jesus. And you can come and you can have your holy place right here at the front of this auditorium this morning. Everybody needs a holy place. But then I follow the life of Jacob and I can see that he could not only point to a holy place, he found a hiding place. Or notice the scripture again here in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. God promised him, he said, I'm with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you, he said, until I have done what I have promised you. You see, the marvelous thing about a holy place is that when you activate by faith the grace of God into your life, you automatically acquire the promises of God and he will be your hiding place. No matter what you face, I appreciated what the pastor said today, uh, that no matter what your burden is, he can handle your burden. Uh, He can take care of the need of your life. You may be a Christian here this morning, uh, and you're carrying something, and you just don't know how you're going to make it to the next day. Uh, You have a hiding place. His name is Jesus. The songwriters penned it well when they said words like this, I have found a hiding place. When sore distressed, Jesus, rock of ages, to my soul. I like what another author said. Hiding in thee, hiding in thee, my blessed rock of ages. I'm hiding in thee. Everybody needs a hiding place. A place where you can go when the storms rage When the world is unkind when Satan comes against you with all that he has everybody needs a hiding place I don't know what you brought into this service this morning I don't know what's going on in your life but maybe you fit into that category of needing a hiding place this can be your hiding place you can come here and you can invoke the presence of God into your life you can defeat the power of the enemy by exercising faith in one who is greater than anything the enemy could ever bring against you. I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for 18 years. Just south of Nashville is this town of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and John R. Rice, a great Baptist evangelist of years past, lived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Had a beautiful piece of property, a beautiful home. You could see it from Interstate 24 when you drove south out of Nashville. I used to read his magazine titled The Sword of the Lord. And I read this article one day. He said that he enjoyed taking walks on his property. And he said, when I would take these walks on my property just to get alone with God and just to enjoy the beauty of nature, he said, my dog would always be my companion. He said, my dog's name was Cooner. And he said, as Cooner and I would walk out across the property, my dog Cooner liked to jump rabbits. And he was good at it. He said, we would not be long in our walk until he would jump a rabbit and the chase was on. And he said, I would just listen as he would bark and chase that rabbit through the bush and through the grass all over that property he said i expected any moment to hear my dog cooner give forth that victorious howl that he had caught the rabbit but he said on this particular day he said instead of hearing that victorious howl he said i heard a rather mournful wail. he said i finally caught up to my dog cooner He had chased that rabbit up against a rock facing on the backside of our property. And he said, there was my dog, Cooner, all spread eagle in front of that rock facing. And he said, at the bottom of the rock facing, there was just a small opening in the rock. And he said, I looked and tucked back up into that little opening was that rabbit. And he was just quivering with fear. And my dog, Cooner, whining because he couldn't get his jaws Around the rabbit. The opening was large enough for rabbit, but not rabbit and dog. I've been chased before, haven't you? But I am so thankful this morning for the cleft of the rock. So thankful that there is a place. I call it a hiding place. Before you leave here this morning, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you that you don't have to leave carrying the load alone. You can come and find a hiding place today. Everybody needs a hiding place. Jacob could not only point to a holy place, found a hiding place, but he experienced a healing place. Do you know the story of Jacob? For those who may not be too familiar with it, Jacob is on this 450 mile journey. From his home in Canaan to his uncle Laban's home in Haran you see when you study the story you will find that Jacob had been deceitful he deceived his father Jacob had actually received the blessing from his father that was due his brother Esau and when Esau found out about it he became very angry and if you don't believe that Esau became angry with his brother You go back to chapter 27, look at verse 41. It says, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother. Jacob's on the run. His mother perhaps suggested, maybe you ought to go see your uncle Laban. He lives in Haran. Go there for a time until Esau Cools down. Jacob arrives in Haran. And he lives with his uncle Laban. It's quite a visit. 20 years. How well, would you like to have your nephew come and live with you for 20 years? 20 years he is there. He takes for himself a, a wife by the name of Leah. A wife by the name of Rachel. And then one day the word of the Lord comes to him. It's verse 3 of chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. I wonder, I cannot help but wonder what went on in the mind of Jacob when after 20 years the word of the Lord comes to him and says, now Jacob, I want you to leave Haran. I want you to go back to Canaan. What do you think went through his mind? Here's what I think went through his mind. I think, immediately thought if I go back, what will Esau do he wanted to kill Jacob. But nonetheless, God has spoken. And so the word tells us that he gathered his wives and his children, his livestock, his men servants, his maidservants, and they begin to make their way back to Canaan. And as they are journeying along, one of the servants comes running to him and says, Jacob, your brother comes out against you with 400 men. What do you think went through his mind then? He's going to get even. He's going to get back everything that I robbed from him 20 years ago. He'll take my wives. He'll take my children. He'll take my servants. He'll take all of my livestock in repayment for the blessing that I took from him 20 years ago. 20 years. How much anger can grow in a person's heart towards someone else for 20 years? How much bitterness can dwell in the heart of a person towards somebody else for 20 years? Jacob puts into motion a plan. You can read it. Verse 1 of chapter 33. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next. Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob with sword in hand and fire in his eyes. No. Esau ran and met met Jacob and embraced him threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Regardless of what had happened prior to and what will happen next at that moment, in that precise moment in time, there's no question in my mind, there was healing between two brothers. Everybody needs a healing place I've been in the ministry 52 years. 23 of those years was in pastoral work. I've been privileged to pastor some incredible people. But it doesn't matter where I've been, whether it's a revival or a church, I meet people who are hurting. You don't have to go out there in the world to find people who have been beaten up emotionally. Some of you right here, Came into this service beaten black and blue emotionally by the events of life, relationships that went awry, people that have hurt you. Everybody needs a healing place. You could find healing this morning right here. For Jesus is our healer. Everybody needs a healing place. Jacob could point to a holy place, found a hiding place, experienced a healing place, and he's on his way home to his home place. 20 years, he's been away from his mother, been away from his family, his aunts and his uncles that lived there. We don't have the details of all the family members, but he's going home. There had to be some sense of exhilaration as he's making his way back to that familiar territory that had been so long away from for 20 years. There's something about. If you had a positive growing up experience in a particular home place, there's something about going home. I can really identify with Jacob at this point in his story because I was away from home for 20 years. I'm a Tar Heel by birth, a Hoosier by choice. (laughs) And whenever I was in evangelistic ministry back in the early 90s, before Gretchen and I were married, I can remember living in Nashville, Tennessee, and every once in a while I would get an invitation to come to North Carolina to conduct a revival meeting, and I was excited about that because you see i knew that if i was going to north carolina there was the possibility that i might get to see my mother and my father and yes my brothers and even my sister that lived there so whenever time for that revival meeting began to roll around i'd get on the phone and i'd call my father who lived in salisbury north carolina and i'd say hey pop have you looked at my slate i would put my slate on a slate card and i'd hand them out in those days and, Have you checked my slate? Hey, Dad, have you noticed that I'm coming to North Carolina in a few weeks? And he would say, well, no, son, I haven't really noticed that. Let me get the card. And he would look at it and say, well, son, I see where you're going to be here in just a few weeks. Uh, Let me check my schedule. My dad, as I said, was an evangelist. And so he was doing revivals, and he would look at his slate. He'd say, well, son, I'm going to be here at home the same time you're going to be in North Carolina. Maybe we can get together, play a round of golf. Well, Dad, I... I want you to know that's why I called. I, I talked with the pastor where I'm going to be, and it's only about an hour away from you and Mom. And I asked permission to stay with you and Mom during the revival if it's convenient. Oh, son, you know it's convenient. You can stay with us. That's great, Dad. I look forward to seeing you and spending time with you and Mom. Well, call, call us, son. Let us know when you're going to get home. Well, Dad, wait a minute before you hang up the phone. Uh, Dad, I, I'm, I'm going to need somebody to pick me up at the airport. at Charlotte. Could you pick me up on that Saturday night when I get to town? Sure, son. Just let me know what time you're going to get in. Okay, Dad, I'll let you know. All right, good to talk to you, son. Well, I thought, well, wait a minute, Dad. Before you go, I need to ask you one more thing. I'm going to need a car. Could I use one of your cars? My dad had two cars. Mother didn't drive. But Dad had two cars. He said, you can drive the Chevrolet. He had this 19 86 Chevrolet Caprice Classic. Maroon with wire wheels and rolled and pleated interior. He said, you can drive the Chevrolet. Okay, Dad, thanks. Call me, son. Let me know when you're going to get here. And I can remember the time would come. And in the ensuing weeks before my arrival, I knew my mom and dad would prepare for my coming. I called Dad on Monday. Hey, Dad, getting to Charlotte Saturday night about 8.30. All right, son, I'll be there. Curbside is before 9-11. And in those four days, five days, four days before I arrived, Dad would go to the grocery store. He always did the grocery shopping at our house. It was like an adventure for him. Mother would give him the list, and he would go, and they would pick up my favorite cereal, Cheerios. My favorite soft drink. Cheer wine, not an alcoholic beverage. The name comes from the color. It's like a glorified cherry Coke if you've never had one. My mother, knowing that I have an insatiable sweet tooth, she would fix me one of her classic caramel cakes. So I would arrive on Saturday. I can remember like it was yesterday, coming down that escalator, looking out the door and seeing the back end of my dad's grand marquis Mercury. He could sit up or park next to the curb. I grabbed my bag and I went outside. My dad wasn't much of a hugger, but he came around to the back of the car. and He said, good to see you, son. Glad you're home. He threw open the rear trunk lid of that car and I threw my luggage in and off to Salisbury we went about a 45 minute drive back up the interstate and when we pulled into the driveway and into the garage I got my luggage out I walked to the back door and I opened the door and there stood my mom all 98 pounds of her her name was Pearl Elizabeth Lohman I always affectionately called her Pearl And when I opened the door and I saw my mom, I said, hi, Pearl. She said, hi, son. Good to see you. Good to see you, Mom. And I placed a kiss on her forehead. And as I came on into the kitchen area from that back door, she said, would you like a little refreshment before you go to bed? What do you have, Mom? Got a caramel cake. Caramel cake? Hey, mom, you got any strawberry jello? Made some today. Hey, mom, I'll take a wedge of caramel cake and a dollop of strawberry jello. Got any cheer wine? Picked up some cheer wine for you too. I'll take a tall glass of cheer wine over ice. Let me help you get it, mom. No, you go in there and sit with your dad. I'd go into the den, sit with my dad. He played professional baseball before he was converted and called to preach. So he's watching the tail end of a baseball game, usually the Atlanta Braves. That was his team. I sit there and my mother brings me the caramel cake and the jello and the cheer wine. And I eat every last morsel and drink every last drop of the cheer wine. Visit with my dad, watch the ball game for a few minutes, then look up at the mantle and see the clock over the mantle. It's getting late. Pop, it's getting late, I'm gonna go to bed. Gotta get up early in the morning. And I get up and I start toward the kitchen with my dishes and pass by my dad's recliner. And he says, nice to have you home, son. It's nice to be home, dad. I deposit my dishes in the kitchen, make my way down the hallway. My mother's already beat me to the bedroom where I'm gonna be sleeping. She's pulled the covers back and I slide between crisp clean sheets. And mom steps to the door and she says, "What time do you need to get up in the morning, son?" "Oh mom, get me up about 7 7:30. It's about an hour's drive to the church. I want to get there in time for Sunday school to mix and mingle with the people." "What would you like for breakfast, son?" "What do you got, mom?" "We picked up some country ham, Country ham? Hey mom, how about some country ham biscuits? How many do you want, son? Oh, I suppose four would tide me over to lunch. <laughs> the next morning there's a soft knock on the door of my bedroom. Son, 7:30. Thanks, Mom. I get ready, get cleaned up, grab my briefcase, start down the hallway. My dad's been up for a while. He's sitting at the desk there in his office. He hears me coming down the hall. He says, Lane, come in here a minute. That's the way you'd talk. Lane, come in here a minute. And I walked into my dad's office. He dangled a set of car keys up in the air and said, Son, here are the keys to the Chevrolet. Tires have been rotated. Oil's been changed. Tank's full of gas. It's been washed. It's ready for you. Thanks, Pop. I appreciate it. Here, take this credit card. If you need gas, use the credit card to put gas in the car. No, Dad, I don't need the credit card. I'll pay my own gas. I'm still your dad. You take the credit card and put gas in the car. (laughs) I walked into the kitchen to the aroma of ham that's been sizzling in a fry pan and biscuits that have been baking in the oven and coffee that's been brewing there next to the sink in a Mr. Coffee. Mother's putting those biscuits and individual pieces of saran wrap down into a brown paper bag. She fixes me a to-go cup of coffee with three sugars, just like I like it. She accompanies me out to the garage. It's an open-air type carport. I put my briefcase and the coffee and the biscuits into the Chevrolet and turn around, and my mom walks over to me and she slides her little bony arm around my waist, and she slides a $20 bill into my hand. And she says, you might need a little spending cash. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. And then she tightens that arm around my waist. And she says, I'll be praying for you today. And she would. I put that car in gear and started out the driveway and looked in the rearview mirror. And there was my mom. One arm wrapped around her waist, the other hand in the air, waving goodbye. And she'd stand there until eyes out of sight. That scene repeated itself every day that I was with them. Didn't get the $20 every day. (laughs) (laughs) They died, mom and dad, in 2000. Born the same year, 1917 died the same year, 2000. Dad in February, mother in November. We sold the house. I don't know what I'd give this morning, folks, if when we get home tomorrow, if I could walk into my office and hit that answering machine and hear my dad's voice. He would always call me when he knew I was home after a revival meeting. The message would sound something like this. Lane, it's your dad. (laughs) Call me when you get in. I wanna see how the meeting went. See if they took good care of you. Now call me. I wish I'd have saved one of those recordings. I don't know what I'd give folks if just one more time I could drive into that driveway at Briarwood Terrace outside of Salisbury, North Carolina and see my mom standing at that kitchen window and have her meet me at the back door and be able to say to her, Hi, Pearl. Hi, son. But they're gone. But you know what? You know what Jesus said? He said, I go to prepare a place, not a figment of your imagination, not some conjured up spiritual utopia, but a place. And where I am, there ye may be also. everybody needs to know they're heading to that place. And when Jacob reached a certain place, holy place, hiding place, healing place, a home place. Father, thank you for the places in our lives. Thank you for those moments that we can point to. Say, it was at that place that I settled that with him. It was at that place that I got to know him. It was at that place that I gained that assurance that all is well with my soul. I pray, Father, this morning that you would draw us to yourself. May we, like Jacob of old, have an encounter with you that will change us today. With our heads bowed in the closing moments, Jodie's going to play. As she plays something, maybe you'd like to come and have a fresh encounter with him as we begin this new year. Nobody's gonna question you as to why you came. But you just feel like you need to pull up to the table. You need to have a fresh encounter with him this morning. You might need to establish a holy place. You might need to find a hiding place. You might need a healing place. You may not be quite certain about the home place. Why don't you come? Take a few minutes before you leave the service today. Have an encounter with him. Would you just get up and come? We're not going to sing a song, per se. Just get up and come. That's right. Others of you, come. Altar's open. This is your time.